Well, take your Bibles uh, this morning and join me in the study of God's Word. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 3 and in verse 19. And uh, this, this verse comes out of the second message that Peter shared with the people in Jerusalem. The first message being uh, the message on the day of Pentecost. And then sometime later, he came back with this message. Both of those uh, prophetically were spoken to the people of Israel, but it is profitable for us as well, simply because the Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And so the application can be to us personally as well. But here's what Peter writes or says as it is recorded in Acts chapter 3 and in verse 19. He says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We're in a series of messages. This is the third and final message as we are preparing for the coming of the Lord. You already know because I have shared it with you. We're not obviously talking about the coming of the Lord in his second coming, even though we need to make sure we get the message out to those who have yet to accept Christ that they need to be prepared for that because that one is final. But our focus in this study is on preparing for the coming of the Lord in revival, and specifically the five services that we've set aside, February the 7th through the 10th, as we wait to receive a word from the Lord through his servant, Reverend Randy Harlan. I shared last week that for uh, a period of time I had been seeking and searching and just wanting to get direction from the Lord as to a word that we here at Washington Baptist Church could wrap our hearts around and our, our souls around in preparation for revival. And as I began to follow up in the study and the things the Lord was led upon my heart, I ended up with seven spiritual actions that I felt like the Lord wanted me to share for us here, for our church family here at Washington Baptist Church. If someone in an interview were to simply ask me off the cuff, what are seven things people need to do to prepare for revival, probably only two or three that is on this list would have come out of my mouth at that time. But the longer I studied and searched, the Lord began to lay some very specific things on my heart. And I believe it's a personal word from Him to us, all seven spiritual actions. That doesn't mean that every one of these actions are for every single one of us. There may be two or three that apply to where you are spiritually and two or three that apply to where someone else may be spiritually, uh, but it's a word so that everyone can have an opportunity to look at their heart, look at their lives, and be ready for revival. So as we begin that study together, I, I want to take a moment uh, this morning to do a quick review of the first five, because this is the last message, and I want to put it in the big picture so you can have them all at one time. So if you just follow along with me, we're going to begin looking at what we've already covered, and then we're going to get deeper into the Word in terms of the last two spiritual actions the Lord wants us to focus on and embrace 
as we get our hearts and lives ready for the revival that we believe is going to come. First of all, we, had, uh, we looked at the reality of the spiritual action of earnestly inviting the Lord to come among us. In other words, not just to be here. We know he promised us and we embrace that by faith with great joy that where two or three are gathered in his name, he would be there among them. And so every time we come together, we embrace that promise. But we talk about the Lord coming among us. We're talking about the manifested presence of the Lord. That is, when he opens up heaven and he pours out his spirit upon us and wonderful and radical things begin to change for his glory and for the sake of our lives. It's the same spirit that that Isaiah had, and I shared this with you in Isaiah chapter 64 and in the first two verses. And this is the spirit the Lord wants us to have as we are preparing for revival as well. And here's what uh, Isaiah lifted up to the Lord in prayer. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. In other words, Isaiah said, Lord, I want you to come in such a way that even those who don't even believe in you, they may have heard of you, but they don't believe in you. They have to acknowledge that this was your work because of the wonderful things that is taking place. If we want revival, we have to ask for revival. If we want the presence of the Lord in such a manner where the Holy Spirit, like on the day of Pentecost comes, we have to ask for it. And ask for it with the same boldness as Isaiah. So the first thing the Lord wanted me to share with you, and I'm part of this as well, was to earnestly invite the Lord to come among us. The second thing we looked at was spiritual action is that we need to enter into a renewed commitment of obedience. Scripture says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, the very first part of that Versus, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Some people have ears to listen. That just simply means they want to, to listen to the message, and then they're going to evaluate that message based upon whether they enjoyed it or not. Doesn't mean they plan to do anything with it. A lot of times it's just a picture of someone coming with what I call a spiritual umbrella. And with that spiritual umbrella, it hits that umbrella, it bounces off to someone else, but it never reaches them. And there's a lot who come with that type of ears to hear or ears to listen. They just want a a message that they can enjoy uh, hearing with no intention of doing anything with it. But those who have ears to hear are those who want to hear for the purpose of obeying. They want to receive a word from the Lord, and then they want to obey exactly what the Lord is telling them to do when he tells them to do it with gladness of heart. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, as I'm preparing for the word God has for us through Reverend Randy Harlan, uh, and you're preparing for the word that the Lord is going to be sharing, what kind of ears do you have? Do you have ears to listen? 
or do you have ears to hear? Because you want to know what the Lord is saying to you. You want to do what the Lord is telling you to do. And you're going to do it with gladness of heart because you know it's going to be a blessing. It's going to open up your life for God to do his work in you and through you. And so we looked at earnestly inviting the Lord to come among us. We've already looked at entering into a renewed commitment to obedience. And then last week we began looking at uh, the spiritual action of to eradicate everything in our heart that does not foster unity. I, I want to take a moment and remind you of the verse that was the basis for that. And that was in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 3. Ephesians 4 thir- uh, verse 3 where Paul says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the word for spirit here, just to remind you, and maybe you didn't get a chance to be here last Sunday or hear it online, uh, that word spirit is a reference to the Holy Spirit, not simply the inner spirit of a man. And the focus here is on maintaining, preserving. In fact, it is written in a, what we call a present tense imperative, being diligent to preserve. That is, every day, continually doing whatever we can do, what we need to do to maintain the unity of the Spirit of the living God among us. What does that mean? Well, in simple terms, this. The Spirit will never be in conflict with himself. The Spirit will never be uh, ununified in itself. And so the Holy Spirit in me will never be in conflict with the Holy Spirit in you as a believer. And so if I am in conflict with another believer, or if there is conflict or a lack of unity in the body of Christ, it has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It has to do with our self-spirit being in conflict with one another. Well, what does that do? That creates a spiritual crisis, a spiritual crisis where the Holy Spirit of God is being grieved, and the Scripture says the Holy Spirit of God is being quenched, and that's a spiritual crisis because the Holy Spirit is the lifeline of the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the lifeline of my life as a believer and your life as a believer. And so Paul is exhorting us. He's literally commanding us as he is inspired by the Spirit in writing this letter that we are to uh, be diligent daily, continually making sure that the less important things such as mm, my preferences or my likes or dislikes never undermine the most important that is the work of the Holy Spirit among us. So that as Christ builds his church here at Washington Baptist Church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we need to deal with everything. That means resolve everything. If it's an attitude, whatever it may be, uh, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The fourth thing we looked at, part of our message last Sunday, was we are to engage in a spiritual lifestyle of speaking freely of the Lord. And here's what this, why this is important. The Lord told us in Luke chapter 9 and in verse 26 that if you are ashamed of me before men, then I'll be ashamed of you before the Father when I enter into glory. 
Well, I don't want the Lord ashamed of me, and I don't want the world to think I'm ashamed of my Lord and Savior. So I, I want to look for every opportunity. And that's what he is saying here in this spiritual action that he is challenging us here at Washington with is to have a lifestyle, not where you're being obnoxious, but where in an appealing way, you're looking for those opportunities to testify of the Lord, what he means to you, what he's done in your life, how he works in your life, so that they can also get the idea of what the Lord could do in their life. And the more we talk about the Lord, the more it prepares our heart for what the Lord is going to give us in the word that he brings us through uh, Randy Harlan. So it's, a, it's an important part of our life as followers of Christ. And so we have looked at, looked at earnestly inviting the Lord to come among us, enter into a renewed commitment to obedience, eradicate everything in the heart that does not foster unity, engage in uh, a, a spiritual lifestyle of speaking freely of the Lord. And the last thing we looked at last week was that we need to elevate our expectations of witnessing and actually experiencing revival. You know, there are those who do not want revival because when the Lord does come among us, he does bring change. God never touches anything and it remains the same. It always is changed in a wonderful and in a radical way and, and it brings glory to him and it brings blessing to us. But there's so many that are just very, very comfortable with where they are in quote unquote their faith. And, and they enjoy their smoke and mirrors type Christianity. It works well in how they want to live their life and in the schedule of their life. And so the, really the last thing they want is, is for the Lord to come in and, and disturb their nest, uh, to mess up that nest. And, and so spiritually have to make some very serious decisions in their life. Well, how do we respond to these folks? Well, we love them, but we certainly don't listen to them. We don't allow them to speak their lack of faith into our lives. We do not allow them to speak their negativity into our hearts and in our lives. Instead, we need to prepare ourselves. Ask the Lord to help us so that we may speak positive, uh, faith-driven words into their life. Well, for today, in this final word in this series, I want to share the last two of the seven spiritual actions the Lord laid on my heart to share with us here at Washington Baptist Church. Number six is that we are to embrace the gift of repentance. Now listen carefully to what I said. To embrace the gift of repentance. Let's go back to our text, Acts chapter 3, and in verse 19. And just notice with me that, that as, as, as uh, Peter is preaching here, he begins with a prerequisite. Here's the prerequisite. It says, therefore, repent. Now, that word repent, Satan has done a, a marvelous job. I hate to give him credit for anything, 
But he's done a marvelous job of putting a negative spin on that word repent. What I want you to understand is that it is an incredible gift of God. It's an opportunity the Lord gives to us to deal with the things in our lives that we need to deal with. It comes from our own sinful nature so that we can continue to enjoy the blessings of the incredible relationship we have with him. Now, the word repent actually uh, starts in the heart. A lot of people maybe don't understand, but to repent, it begins where you receive a word from the Lord in your heart. We call it conviction sometimes, but the Holy Spirit takes the word, and then he speaks to our heart, and as our heart becomes convicted over that word, then the mind embraces it, and we make the decision to make a radical change in our life as a result of the word. The word repent means to, to turn and go the opposite direction. So that's, we call that a radical change. And it can be about an attitude, it can be about activity, it can be about uh, how we approach things in life, it can be about uh, even, even things that we should be doing that we're not doing as followers of Christ. But the Holy Spirit speaks that word to us. We fall into conviction. And then as our mind begins to embrace the truth that we've just begun to understand, we make that decision of a radical change in our life. And it's an incredible gift to the Lord because that can come at any time. It can come through a song that you're listening to on the radio uh, or even while you're working and you have your laptop and you have Christian music going. It could be from a message like even this morning or it could be what you're going to hear during revival. But when you hear that word, it's an opportunity for a wonderful change in your life. It comes from the love of God and the grace of God in our lives. And as we look further into this verse, what I want you to see is that when we fulfill the prerequisite, there follows that two incredible promises. Look at it with me. The first promise is simply this, a forgiveness of our sins. Here's what he says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come. Let's just look at that phrase, that your sins may be wiped away. Now, underline that phrase. That is a critical phrase. Not just forgiven, but wiped away. Let me give you a couple of other verses out of the Old Testament that also uh, relate to now, what this phrase means, first of all, if you look with me in Psalms, Psalms 51, and you may recall that David was a man at one time that God said, this man's after my heart. David has such a love for God and a love for God's Word, and so God was just embracing him, but then that old sinful nature came, raised this ugly head in David's life, you know, and he became guilty of adultery, he became guilty of murder because he set a guy up basically to be killed in war, but then he received a word. The prophet spoke the word, and it spoke to David's heart. His mind wrapped around the truth of reality of what happened in his life, and he repented. And here's the words of his repentance in Psalms 51 and in verse 1. 
And here's what David cried out after, the, after Nathan the prophet had spoken the word to him. He says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. What's this next phrase? Blot out. Blot out my transgressions. Not just forgive, but a forgiveness that blots out. In other words, when someone to look down on his account, they would not see that those sins, those transgressions, as he words them, ever existed. Think about what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43 and, and in verse uh, 25. Listen to this. God said, I... Even I am the one who wipes out, wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Wow. And so we go back to our text. And in our text, he says one of the promises, if we fulfill the prerequisite of repentance, is that our sins may be wiped away. Let me give you the true picture. In that day and time, they wrote information down on two kinds of material. One was papyrus, papyrus. The other one was vellum. Vellum was uh, made out of animal skin. And they would write that information on either one of these two kinds of material. Now, the ink of that day was not like the ink of today. The ink of today has acid in it. The ink in those days had no acid, so it never bit into the papyrus or into the vellum. It just sat on top of it and just dried right there, which meant this. When a scribe wanted to write something down and he already had a piece of papyrus that let, let's say already had information on it but it wasn't information that needed to be kept he would just take a sponge of their day and just wipe it off and when he got through you didn't even know if anything had ever been written on that piece of papyrus well, that's what the Lord is telling us through Peter, through Isaiah, through David, that when we repent, when we receive that word from the Lord and, and we make that change in our life, it's like God just wipes our account so clean, there's not even any evidence that we ever did it. So that's why the Lord says, I remember your sins no more. What an incredible word for us. So you see, repentance is a gift. It's a very positive opportunity the Lord gives to us to deal with those things when we fall short because of the sinful nature that is in our lives. But notice as we go back to our text, there's another promise. Not only the promise of a forgiveness of our sins, but a promise of a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, a fresh touch 
of the Holy Spirit. It says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing. This is talking about a spiritual refreshing, a spiritual revival, a spiritual awakening. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. This calls me to think of a word that Peter gave us in 1 Peter, and I want to share that with you and just ask the question. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 8, Peter writes this, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you greatly, now listen carefully to this, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I like the King James Version. It says unspeakable joy. That means indescribable. You can't put it into words. So here's the question I had to ask myself. I'm going to ask you. When was the last time you can say you literally experienced that? As a follower of Christ. Unspeakable joy. Indescribable joy. Where God, where the Lord, where Christ is electrifyingly real. And so real, you're just overwhelmed with joy. That's something we talk about, but I'm talking about something we experience. And I, I have to be honest with you. I, I have to think back a long ways. Since the last time I've had a touch of that kind of experience in my heart and in my life. He's just not talking symbolically here. He's talking literally here about experiencing unspeakable, indescribable joy. When does that come? That's those times of refreshing. Those are those times of, of revival truly in our heart and lives where God is just so awesome and we're just overwhelmed with his presence and his work in our heart and lives. Well, what's the key? Well, the prerequisites is the key. That is repent. Receive a forgiveness of sin where they are, your sins are just totally wiped out as though they never happened. And then you experience this unspeakable joy, this fresh touch of the Holy Spirit of God among us. Well, let me close with this. The seventh spiritual action the Lord laid on my heart to share with us here at Washington Baptist Church and getting ready for revival um, is this, eagerly return to our first love. Eagerly 
return to our first love. In the same verse, in Acts chapter 3 and in verse 19, I read the word, but I just am now getting back to it, where he says, therefore repent and return. And that word return took me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, I mean Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus said to the church in Ephesus these words. He commended them up front busy church, working hard. On the surface, it looks like, wow, what an incredible church this is. But here's what he said. But I have this against you. Listen to this. That you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and we'll remove your lampstand out of its place. Unless you repent and return to your first love. There seems to be a phrase that is used more often now than I can ever remember it being used. And maybe uh, it was being used and I just didn't know it. But particularly out there in the secular world and... Uh, a lot of the quote-unquote romantic type movies, uh, Hallmark movies, for instance, uh, they use this phrase, you are the love of my life. That's a pretty powerful statement to make. But here's what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus, which, again, is profitable for us. Am I your first love? Am I the love of of your life? Again, that's a pretty powerful question. It's a very important answer we need to be able to give. Can we say, can I say that Jesus is the love of my life? That has nothing to do with my love for Kathy and my love for my children, my grandchildren, my love for all of you here at Washington Baptist Church. You're my church family. But Jesus is supposed to be the love of my life. Up and above the other loves that I have. And, and he says, look, if I'm not, if I fall somewhere down the line here where, yeah, you love me, but I'm not the love of your life, he says, then I'm just going to have to come and remove your lampstand. That doesn't mean he's going to to leave us or forsake us. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, he says, I have to set you over here because I can't do anything in you or through you because I'm not the love of your life until you get that right. Then you're going to be the shell of a Christian or you're going to be the shell of a body of Christ. You will have what Paul talked about to Timothy, a form of godliness, but no power thereof. In other words, just smoke screens of Christian faith, where there is no real movement or work of God in the midst of my life or in the midst of the body of Christ, is Jesus ultimately the love of your life, as he words it here. I'm asking you that question. He says, repent and do the deeds you did 
at first. What does that mean? He said, I'm not looking for words. I'm not looking for you to simply say, oh, yes, Lord Jesus, you're the love of my life. Now, I'm looking for observable evidence that everybody in your life, your family, your friends, your fellow workers that you work with, whoever's in your life, they have no question that, yes, you love them, but Jesus is the love of your life. So we have an incredible challenge here. God has given us seven spiritual actions to focus on. We have one week to get ready. So I trust that you'll take time every day to look at these seven things. Again, maybe not all seven of them apply to you. Maybe there's some of these, they're already a part of your life, but there may be one, there may be two, there may be three that you know you need to take a real look at. Be honest, be transparent, and be ready for the coming of the Lord in revival. Let's pray. Father God, I not only come before you on behalf of myself, I'm especially coming to you on behalf of my family, my church family here at Washington. Lord God, I want to be revived. I want to know fresh and new that unspeakable joy in my heart. I, I want to know that, Lord, I have ears to hear that, that whatever personal word you have for me through Randy, Harley, that I'm ready to not only hear it, but to receive it and to obey it. Exactly doing what you want me to do, when you want me to do it, and with gladness of heart. Lord, I'm asking you to search my heart. What, what things may be in my heart, what may, things may be in my mind, in my spirit, Lord, that does not foster unity. Lord, speak to me. Reveal those things to me. Convict me. Lord, speak to us all. Because we need you, Lord. We don't have to put our eyes upon all that's happening around us. You tell us just put our eyes on you. So, Lord, I believe this was a personal word for our family right here, our fellowship here, and whomever will come and join us in these five revival services. Remove all obstacles, Lord, all obstacles, so that all can either be here be able to join us with no hindrances through live stream, and we all come with ears to hear. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day today, this Sunday.